but we're more like changing our relationships. So we're actually friendly. <laughs> we have the kind of friendliness with the hot mess that is the system right now. Yeah. So you know, when I first when mess. I first read your book title, I was like, are they talking about how to like not do Bikram yoga? <laughs> <laughs> How's it guys? So it may seem like the world is going to hell in a handbasket right now, whether it's big stuff like politics, COVID-19, or the George Floyd debacle over in America. It just feels like the daily spin of paying your bills, getting to work on time, fending off social media trolls, and whatever it is for you dealing with inequality, the struggle of life. And in essence, really, at the end of the day, one can make a point that one can't really argue with, and that is modern life isn't getting any easier. So how do you navigate this kind of world that's accelerating on the tip of uncertainty seemingly more and more every single day? Well, it turns out that Craig and Devin Haas, the authors of How Not to Be a Hot Mess, have developed a practical survival guide to help you navigate this uncertain time. In this episode, we explore some incredibly awesome insights into how to manage a life on the edge. We explore the value of meditation And we share six principles that really anybody can use, and that's you, today, to keep you grounded, to weather the storm, and to actually be a happy and fulfilled person. So without further ado, enter Craig and Devin Haas. Craig and Devin, welcome to the Matt Brown Show. How are you guys doing? Great. (laughs) It's good to be here. We're doing great. Thanks for having us. Lots of nervous anticipation, live broadcasting all over the world. It's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) It's mad mad the world we're living in, right? And uh, yeah, trying to survive this crazy world, it's um, becoming harder and harder, apparently. And this is pretty much what uh, we're going to get into today. Uh, You guys are the author of of this here book. Let me just uh, bring this up so it makes more sense to everybody watching live. Okay, so up on your screen, you'll actually see the book. Uh, It's called How Not to Be a Hot Mess, A Survival Guide for Modern Life. This is the book that I really want to get into today. I've had a crazy, crazy day um, being CEO and doing a whole bunch of other things. It's just nuts. So we're all going through this tough time, um, and uh, especially with COVID and stuff. So very excited to kind of get into all of this with you today. Um, before we do that, just some fundamentals. We are live broadcasting this on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, LinkedIn. So if you are watching this, wherever you are watching this, just drop a question uh, or comment or whatever you want to do. Share this if you like, um, and the team will pick this up, and uh, let's make this as informative, interactive, and as powerful as possible. Um, And then one more thing, we will be giving away some free stuff. So the first person to send in a comment is going to be the winner. I've got some studio line stuff going out here already. Uh, You'll hear it going off in the background. So um, let's get into the meat and the potatoes. So, Devin and uh, old Craig, there. What uh, you know? What's going on? As the uh, the husband and wife, right? The horses. Who are you? What are you about? <laughs> Where does the story begin? Set it up for us. Okay. Yeah. What are we about? So, I would say for me, I'm all about meditation. Mm-hmm. I learned to meditate about 20 years ago in college, and you know, then I was like, as 19, I read a book by Pema Chodron when things fall apart, which is pretty apropos for these times. 
And really after reading that book, I knew I was like, this is what I want my life to be about meditation. I want to teach it. I want to practice it. I really, I love this. I want to be all about this. And I'm lucky, you know, 20 years later, that really is true. This is what we do. We teach meditation, we write about it, and we do a lot of it ourselves. So I think that would be me. I also got into this stuff very young. You know, I was at high school, what, senior, I guess, and discovered meditation also through a book by a guy named Joseph Goldstein, who's one of our main teachers still. Drove up to a retreat center for a weekend retreat. Shortly thereafter, got really into meditation very, very fast. Moved into a Zen monastery. Stayed there for six years. What? Isn't that dozen? (laughs) (laughs) Six years. Six years in a monastery. We can get into that if you want to. Then I met Devin and went into a PhD program in counseling psychology got my PhD, and now we teach together all over the place. Amazing stuff. So, well, I'm going to have to ask you now, how the hell do you survive in a – well, mind you, I suppose it's probably easier <laughs> to survive there in a monastery than it would be, you know, uh, trying to survive uh, a modern-day life, right, with kids mm-hmm. and business pressure and whatever mm-hmm. that might be in your own world, right? Um, so just explain that to me. How did that story come about? Where did, uh, you know, why six years? Like, didn't you get there after like six months and go, I kind of, I know my thing now, hum, 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 and then you kind of like, <laughs> like move on? <laughs> yeah, the monastery. <clears throat> I didn't expect to stay for six years. Just for the record, I did not think that was going to happen. So I thought I was, I went for three months. That was first. I loved it. Super challenging. You know, you're up at 3.30 in the morning. You're meditating for hours a day. You're in this pressure cooker with all of these people. It's mind training. It's body training. It's heart training. It's training, right? So it's not, you know, monasteries, people think they're like relaxing places or something. They're, they're not, they're not relaxing. You're not getting enough sleep. You're constantly being pushed into your edges. So it's a training thing. Why did I stay for six years? <laughs> Slow learner. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Was it, was it just too, I don't know, but like, I, that's, not, that's quite appealing as an idea, right? Cause I'm all about escapism, mm. you know? Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, now I find it's almost impossible to escape. So the fact that you were there for six years, I mean, what does a typical day look like? What does it look like? So it changes season by season throughout the year. My favorite time of year at the monastery was the winter retreat. So it starts mid-January, goes through mid-April. It's three months long. And during that time, you're doing everything together in a Zen monastery. There's no, there's no escape from other people. And so you're waking up at three 30 in the morning. You're doing a couple hours of meditation. You're eating in silence in a very ritualized way, mindful eating together. Uh, then you have a brief work period, maybe a couple hours. Then you're meditating a bunch. Then you're doing lunch together, silenced and sort of meditative lunch. Then you're meditating in either receiving a talk or in a seminar structure where you're studying a text. Then you're meditating. Then you have a group dinner together, which is done 
in a kind of a meditative state. And then you're meditating in the evening. And then you go to sleep and do the whole thing again and again for three months. Jeez, that's crazy. I've got um, some comments coming through already. Uh, this one's from The Bearded Fan. Uh, Mav, I'm not sure if this is from... Uh, oh, it's on YouTube. He says... Um, he said, basically, a friend of his actually did, lived in a monetary for 10 years. Yeah. That's nuts, eh? Why do people, why do, people do that, though? I mean, I know it's like <laughs> training and it's all this kind of stuff, right? <laughs> training your mind. But, like, you know, you're not really speaking to anyone for that time. And it's all about, I suppose, taking a break, an extended break from yourself, right? Um, I think, actually, I would reverse that. Okay. Um. So in parallel, Craig was in the monastery. I was also living at a similar retreat center a few hours down the road in Colorado. And my ambition was always to do long retreat because in this particular lineage, meditation puts you face-to-face right in touch with who you are. And that kind of training, because it's so different from what we actually think, like the everyday workaday storyline that we're living in all the time, Mm. when we really start to sit down and look at it, in a deliberate way, so radically different than what we assume. And because those habits are so deep, it takes quite a lot of time and training to actually start to see reality for what it is. And for me, I needed that kind of seclusion to step out of the mainstream, to have all that time to really look like what is actually going on here. And it's crazy when you start to see. Mm -hmm. So that would be for me. I think maybe you're similar in some ways. It never felt like an escape to me. Mm. I think I wanted it to be an escape, probably. But especially in the monastery where I was living, you're basically married to like a dozen people that you don't get to choose. You know, you're just with them all the time. So all of their stuff is coming up. All of my stuff is coming up. And we're all together in this. And yeah, okay, we're meditating a lot. But that doesn't mean the behavior is always good. (laughs) You know, like we're here in it, human, trying to work it out. And so it felt more to me like an engaged training Mm. rather than somehow getting away from the Mm. world. Mm. Cool. We can uh, can always come back to that. I think um, what our audience probably needs here is some more context. So... Um, as I touched on in the beginning, like modern life is is pretty hectic, right, for all of us, especially now with COVID <laughs> and these pandemics and things that we now have to contend with. Um, and, um, you know, life in general, it's unpredictable, it's uncertain more and more. I think COVID's accelerated everything in this uncertainty mm-hmm. kind of spectrum. And so what we're kind of looking for is certainty. Now, your book um, proposes a survival guide and it kind of shines a light on what we could say is societal forces like COVID-19 or it could be the banking system, the economic system or the, you know, whatever it is, uh, racism. There's loads of different things that, that ultimately confuse our minds, right? And add to the suffering that, because I love this whole idea of suffering. I think like, I believe it's almost now all there is and you've got to figure out how to find meaning in that space. Um, and so, um, can you walk us through a little bit more in your experience? What are some of these Uh, societal forces Mm -hmm. yeah so we wrote this book in some ways um, we wrote it a year ago but it was certainly in response to what we saw as a world kind of gone mad Mm -hmm. spinning off its axis 
we were both working at the University of Wisconsin-Madison and working with a lot of undergrads. You know, young folks who are just coming out into the world, trying to find their way. A lot of people interested in meditation and feeling like, yeah, meditation is great. It's what we're all about. We were involved in research studies showing meditation decreases stress. It increases focus, can make you a better human. It's a great all-around win as a tool for surviving modern life. But it's actually not enough because, like you're saying, actually, in some ways, meditation can feel like a bypass. It can feel like, well, I'm actually stepping out of the spin and doing this thing that's like a little bit navel gazing. Mm -hmm. And what we wanted to do was bring in the whole context of meditation. Like this doesn't happen just on its own. This comes with a whole package of knowing who we are and what we're about. Mm -hmm. So we can really contemplate like, what are my values? Mm -hmm. What guidelines are really directing my life? Is it generosity? Is it a sense of honesty, authenticity, clarity? These are values that are always encouraged in meditative communities. So our book is really addressing, like, look at the world and how it's really gone off its values in some ways, right? What we see is a lot of dishonesty. We see a lot of confusion, a lot of uncertainty. And these are just simple guidelines. We offer six of them based on the traditional Buddhist precepts that can help us come back to our center to see, okay, in a world gone mad, this is what I care about and this is how I can live. Okay. Uh, thank you for that. That's great context. Um, so you're posing some pretty big questions, right? So if someone said to me, who are you? That's a hard question for me to answer. Um, you know, cause it's like, oh, I'm a dad, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a mentor. I'm a, I'm a lot of different things at different times. You know what I'm saying? Um, so to answer questions like that, it's to, to really discover who we are. It's, it's a lifelong quest. It's not something that a, 10-minute guided meditation is going to pull out of the, the rabbit's hat, if you know what I'm saying. So, um, so you have to dedicate your life to figuring out those, the answers to those questions. And I would also suggest that the answers change. So yeah. if, if, you know, if I think about who I was as a single man versus being a, a father and a husband, they're very different things. My entire value systems have changed. Um, and even what I believed about the world has changed. So my entire North Star is different, right? So life will always change. And I suppose to your point, Devin, it's about checking in with yourself and, and kind of finding out, is this what I'm about now so that I can get clarity? And once I have clarity, I can start to make decisions that actually are in my highest interest. That, that's kind of what you're saying, right? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there, I know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience. You sometimes get stuck, don't you? Well, if you're like me, being stuck sucks. But what if you could access the minds of over 850 CEOs who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second? Well, the good news is you can literally do that today. What my team have built is Matt Brown AI. It is trained on all the interviews, over 850 of them that I've done to date, all my books, all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show. And you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up, it's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers. That's exactly it. 
I mean, I think the nature of modern life is that we're always kind of living a few feet ahead of ourselves. Like, oh, I have to do this and then this and then this. And this practice, meditation, and also some of the other practices we suggest are a way to sort of settle back into present moment, mm -hmm. just like you're saying, and taking just a little bit of space to really look, look at our lives. Are we living by our values? Mm. How are we acting with our kids, with our families? How are we speaking? How are we speaking to ourselves? So it allows that kind of pause to really kind of get back into alignment yeah. moment by moment, as you're saying, because things are changing mm -hmm. all the time mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and we need that kind of, mm, okay, let's step back and digest. Yeah, yeah, you mentioned uh, meditation, and in your book, you actually cite a bunch of studies and stories. Yeah. Um, so I was going to ask you to uh, please oblige our audience and share with us maybe one or two examples of what the science has to say about the practice of what you are uh, prescribing here, which is meditation, and we'll get more into mm -hmm. more about what you're prescribing, but certainly there must be scientific mm -hmm. research. And what does it actually say? Because you get people who are like, oh, meditation's the thing that you do until something happens, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, so if I'm going to do it, right? In other words, if I think about a day, I'm like, oh, I have to find the time to mm -hmm. meditate, right? Or I have to create mm -hmm. the time is probably the better place to start right. you don't find time you create it um and so um you know having scientific data that basically says mm -hmm. listen dude i know you're busy but you spend 10 minutes a day this is the stuff that's going to happen what is that stuff okay great question so i actually got my my PhD in psychology at the university of wisconsin madison which is where some of the ground big the groundbreaking research on meditation has come out of, especially the work of Richard J. Davidson, also known as Richie Davidson, who is a wonderful friend and mentor of ours. Uh, there are many, many positive outcomes associated with meditating just 10 to 20 minutes a day. And they are everything from your stress levels will go down, your focus will increase. We even have research that says your relationships will improve. Um, it has physical benefits in terms of uh, your heart and your cardiovascular system. So there are many, many, many different benefits that come from this incredibly simple practice of just sitting down, for example, and feeling your breath. Now this, this exercise is like the classic meditation, right? You sit down, maybe you close your eyes and you feel your breath. It doesn't seem like it should do such a host, such a wonder of good things for you, mm. but something amazing happens when you do that. If you sit down and you feel your breath for long enough, say five minutes, 10 minutes, the spin of your mind will start to chill, will slow down a little bit. And you'll start to come back to this organism, this like physical experience of your body, which is where a lot of where you're living, <laughs> you're really alive right here. And so from that, all these positive outcomes come. I'll tell one, one research study that I like a lot. I think this is a good one. So at Stanford University, <laughs> I love this experiment because it's kind of like torturous. They took all these people 
hundreds of people with anxiety disorders. Yeah. yeah. And um, they wanted to trigger anxiety in them. So they had them write down their worst anxiety stories. This is things like having a panic attack while giving a presentation, right? Or being criticized by their boss. And they had them journal this and really write down all of the details of their anxiety stories. Then they put them in an fMRI, which is, you know, like measuring mm. your brain activity. And they read back those journal entries to them to see what would happen in their brain. So the parts of their brain associated with high anxiety lit up like a Christmas tree. They had huge anxious reactions to hearing their worst possible moments read back to them. Then the researchers split these folks up into two groups. So the active group, the so-called treatment group was trained in meditation for eight weeks. The control group was just trained to do arithmetic to distract themselves from anxious thoughts, right? So they're both kind of, there's like the active, the active treatment group and the active control. So it's a good, good study. Then they put them back in the fMRI and they read back those journals to them and they saw like what happens in their brain. There was no change in the folks who had learned arithmetic as a way to distract themselves from their anxiety. But the people who actually learned meditation, their circuits uh, around anxiety lit up way, way less. Even though they were awake, even though they were aware, even though they were having the same experience that freaked them out before, they were way less freaked out now. And I think that says a lot about what meditation actually does. It doesn't dull you down. It doesn't check you out. And it's not an escape. It's like, you're here. You're fully here. But there's a way in which you're present that makes room for the anxiety so it doesn't bind you up and hook you. Yeah, it's a great point that you're landing on there because it's like the difference between reacting versus responding. Exactly. You know, one one is like, ah, life's ending. And then the other <laughs> one is like, hang on, it's actually not that bad. I can actually just do this and move on. <laughs> That's right. You know, one is like, I'm losing my sanity. And the other one's like, oh, my sanity's right here. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but actually what you, what I suppose to go back to your book, right? You talk about this idea of, you know, hot mess. Um, yeah. You know, it's um, pretty cool. Um, the idea of being in a hot mess, right? So um, what does it mean though? practically in your experience and in the context of your roadmap or in that you propose in this book, these six principles land for us. What does it mean to be in a hot mess? That is such a good question and relevant to right now. <laughs> so I'll give you an example from my own life. Um, yesterday, super wiped out, totally exhausted. I have had a run of like 10 days straight of lots of, meetings and work and trainings and teachings and my and then there's the overlay of all the anxiety and the emotional side of especially the news that we're hearing this week in the United States. Mm -hmm. So my whole body and mind, whole mind body system were just exhausted yesterday. And when I get tired, the reactivity goes up, right? So I'm more emotional, 
more sensitive to stuff that we say, like, you know, it's easier to argue all those things when I'm worn down in that way. But the practice, so at some point in the morning, I was noticing, oh, I'm super tired and sensitive. And in some ways, just naming that, just that turn to recognize, okay, this is how I'm feeling right now. That in itself is a really radical first step. Because I wasn't stuck in the reactivity of like, I need to do something to fix it. I need to get rest or work or drink coffee or whatever it was. It was more just a sort of gentle turn to say like, wow, I recognize I'm tired, I'm emotional, and there's reasons for that. And that created a little bit of space mm -hmm. to just allow what I was feeling. So recognizing, allowing, not needing to react against it, but just a sort of wider resilience. This is what it feels like to be exhausted and a little worn down. Mm -hmm. And then there's also in that some space for curiosity. Like, oh, how does that feel in my body? And curious, I bet other people are feeling this way too. You know, kind of opening up. There's a little bit more like skillful response mm -hmm. in the difficulties that we're encountering. Mm -hmm. So it sounds really simple, but for me, it's been like this ongoing training. We have to remember to recognize and allow and stay curious and warm around it. And so moment by moment every day, that's sort of what the practice looks like for me. It can look like that formally meditating on my cushion, but more importantly, it's looking like that as I'm talking to people, as I'm working, as I'm interacting, all the way through, there's just kind of monitor monitoring that's saying, this is how things are. I can allow that. Can I be with it? You know, a kind of more spaciousness with it all. Yeah. Maybe I'll piggyback on that because I think, um, why do we, why do we get into hot mess states? right? Like, how do we become a hot mess? A lot of the way that we become a hot mess ourselves is by losing track yeah. of what's going on, falling over ourselves into the next moment, getting over busy, getting overdone, and losing our own awareness of what I call this organism, which I mean the heart, the mind, the body. And so how do we not be a hot mess? It's by turning back toward ourselves, this fullness of experience with a set of trainings that are meditation, that are invitations to our own deepest, what you call North Star. I like that a lot. Mm -hmm. So we become a hot mess when we fall away from what is most important to us. And we, we can work with that by coming back. But I'll also I'll add <laughs> that a friend of ours was saying, instead of titling our book, How Not to Be a Hot Mess, it's sort of like how to be a hot mess. Because for us, like we have hot mess moments all the time, mm -hmm. but it's changing our relationship to that. So it's like, wow, yeah, messiness is happening here mm -hmm. and not judging it, not needing to repress it or bypass it. You said you mentioned that it's a really important point, but we're more like changing our relationships. So we're actually friendly. <laughs> we have the kind of friendliness with the hot mess that is the system right now yeah so you know, when i first when i first read your book title i was like are they talking about how to like not do bikram yoga <laughs> <laughs> that's another kind of hot mess for sure <laughs> have you seen that netflix series about that guy what's his name the founder you must know him not know him, but i mean you know of him right Be well, Bikram, yeah, Bikram. Yeah. Yeah, okay, I yeah. kind of let that one slip. Yeah, what if? I, yeah, anyway, but that guy, jeez, talk about yeah. commercializing and um, allegedly manipulating the idea of meditation and 
you know, well, not meditation, but yoga, which is, by, by the way, a form of meditation, I would say. Um, and um, and manipulating that entire system and the woman that thought, you know, he was like, you know, a kind of a ideo- an ideology of Jesus, a new reincarnation of that, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, which was pretty weird and, and messed up, to be honest. But um, I wanted to kind of uh, ask you um, more broadly, I mean, are they, are, I mentioned the word ideologies, and so one of those is Buddhism. And so I wanted yeah. to ask you um, how much, like, I don't know, the Dhamma as an example, right? So as, as it is taught by Buddha, and I'm not a Buddhist at all, uh, but um, it is about overcoming dissatisfaction or, yeah. um, you know, the word that I used earlier, suffering. It's about overcoming mm-hmm. suffering um, in some way. Um, and so what, well, how much of your teaching is based in this Buddhism? Yeah, great. I think what I would say is um, we have really two strands of teaching. We teach a lot in very traditional Buddhist environments. And then we're teaching straight out of the Buddhist teaching out of the Dharma. This book is from that second stream where we're teaching a whole lot of people that don't know anything necessarily about Buddhism, but they're just interested in meditation. And so what we did with the book was we took a lot of these pretty traditional Buddhist ideas around how to live a good life, a satisfying life, a happy life, and we sort of transmuted them into language that we thought our students would understand. All those folks who are like 25 years old, working at a, the, a startup for first job out of college and kind of like totally overwhelmed and freaked out. Like, okay, well, here's some ideas that have been around for 2,600 years, and here's how they're applicable to you right now. Now, you don't have to sign up for a doctrine. You don't have to sign up for a dogma. You don't have to join our little Buddhist church or anything like that. You could just apply some of these principles in your life, let them knock around a little bit, and see, is it helpful? Well, um, let's talk about that. So I did some research because I like to do this stuff. So I'm kind of don't sound like an idiot when something someone <laughs> talks to me about stuff they've researched and written the whole book about. Uh, but um, <laughs> but uh, one of the things was um, that there are three kind of universal truths in Buddhism. One, nothing is lost in the universe. Two, everything changes, which is what we said. Uh, three, uh, the law of cause and effect. And so... I'm interested to get your view just to piggyback on what you've just said there um, is that, you know, if you think about these 2,600 old, you know, year old kind of, you know, principles or whatever, when you try and shove them into a modern day society, sometimes it kind of, it's, it's like a round, you know, hole with a square peg. Um, and so, you know, when you're a hammer, everything's a nail. Um, and um, I wanted to, to kind of ask you very simply, like how the hell do you adapt these truths from these old ideas, Buddhism specifically now, into our modern day lives? Yeah, such a good question, Matt. I think um, we're at this interesting point in history where Buddhism is, is coming to the West, traditionally a very Asian religion. And yet the ways that it can be interpreted and translated are very like not religious whatsoever. 
because it has such a sort of scientific, pragmatic bent. Like a lot of what the Buddha taught was sit down, look at what's happening here. Like I was saying, look at reality and just see for yourself or like a scientific experiment inside of your own mind and consciousness. Like what's actually really happening for you? And then tell us about it. So that sort of pragmatic scientific approach, I think very much appeals to the Western mind. I can say for myself, it appeals to me. You know, there isn't a big dogma to believe. Certainly there's like cultural religious trimmings like reincarnation, rebirth, karma that we can talk about another time. But there's this certainly this thread in the Buddhist teachings that's very much about look and see for yourself. You don't have to take anything on blind belief or blind faith. So that said, there's a whole lot in it that actually aligns with what science is showing now about the mind, about how well-being works. Mm -hmm. And I think this is one reason why mindfulness is such a trend, is that through scientific studies, like the Stanford study that Craig was just citing, we start to see like, wow, this has really like on the ground immediate benefits for everyone, regardless of what their beliefs are. And so we see mindfulness really taking off. Our concern, and this is sort of where we stand as a bridge, I think, between the worlds, is that when mindfulness is completely taken out of its context, especially out of its ethical context, then not so certain. Like, is this just a tool to be more focused and razor-like in our efficiency at work? And does that actually mean that we could be more unethical, mm -hmm. like more efficiently killing people or lying or stealing? And in that way, that's not what meditation and mindfulness are about at all. And so one reason why we're wanting to translate some of these guidelines around a mindful, ethical life is to really help folks see, oh, this actually comes with a whole other context of like, if I've been spending my day killing people and stealing from them and lying and getting intoxicated, this actually won't lead to a very stable or peaceful mind state. Meditation is going to be really hard, actually. Mm -hmm. And so we have to align ourselves with our values in order to actually make friends with ourselves, to look at our situation, to know who we are and what we're about. So that's kind of the piece that we're trying to translate. It's like, oh, there's a whole context here. Not blind belief. Certainly, like, check it out for yourself. Sit down and see what works. But that there's this whole, like, faceted context, not just the practice of sitting down and looking at your breath. Mm. Maybe it's helpful to get into specifics. Cool. Can I try that? Yeah, man. Go for it. So I think in the book, um, we took these five basic principles that are traditional Buddhist stuff, and we translated them in a way that I think people relate to. So like the first one we translated is don't be a jerk. You know, so chapter one in the book is meditate. We just covered that. Chapter two in the book is don't be a jerk. Why don't be, in other words, don't cause harm to people, right? And there was really good reasons not to be a jerk. Because for one thing, if you're a jerk, you're going to be unhappy sooner or later. Your relationships are going to suffer. Your work is going to suffer. Um, your family is going to suffer. And so there's like these really good self-interested reasons, what the Dalai Lama calls enlightened self-interest to instead of being a jerk, pr practice and develop and train a certain amount of kindness. So the next chapter is give a little. And in that chapter, we talk a lot about the empirical research 
surrounding generosity and its impacts on the heart and mind. So there's really good reasons why you might want to cultivate generosity. Next chapter, say what's true. Why? Because there's research that suggests that when we lie, certain things happen. We get stressed out because we have to track our lies and blah, blah, blah. It ruins our reputation. And it makes actually getting ahead in our environments much more difficult. If people know that we're trustworthy, we will be more successful in the long run, as I'm sure you know. And the next chapter is make sex good. Now, the Buddha definitely never said that. He never said make sex good. What he said is don't cause harm through sexuality. But we kind of like turned this on its head. We're like, okay, let's start by not causing harm with sexuality. That's a good beginning. But we're all, we're not monks. We're not nuns. We're all lay people here. We are either like engaged in sexual life or we would like to be. So how do we build on that? and make our sex lives good, how we and like in alignment with what we really care about, with what we really believe, et cetera, et cetera. And then the last chapter is stay clear. Staying clear starts with not getting trashed, not getting like too high, right? All this stuff. And then it goes all the way into like, how do we handle our devices? How do we stay clear moment to moment in our lives? How do we live from our values? All these different pieces come under the rubric of stay clear. So those are like five principles that are coming straight out of the Buddhist tradition, but that I think we can apply in our very real moment to moment lives right now. How's it guys? Just a quick one to say, did you know that due to COVID-19 that the small business sector in South Africa is currently at risk with close to 525,000 formal SMEs locally? employing 6.6 million people. These businesses are at greater risk today than ever before. You know, as a community, we need to do as much as we can to help SMEs succeed and survive during this time. And to this end, I've decided to give away free copies of my number one Amazon best-selling book, You're in the Game Today, which shares the 12 principles that high-impact entrepreneurs billionaires and world champion athletes use to overcome the impossible and achieve the extraordinary. If you'd like to get your hands on a copy or maybe share a copy with an entrepreneur that you feel could benefit from this incredible story, please head on over to mattbrownshow.com, hit the Your Inner Game link, put in your details and we'll deliver a digital copy to you instantly. And for more information, guys, about the book and more developments around the Matt Brown Show, head on over to mattbrownshow.com. Cool. I've got a whole bunch of questions here. This one is from, let me go to this line here. Uh, This one's from The Bearded Fan. Is it The Bearded Fan or is it Fen? Hang on. Let me get it right. The Bearded Fan. It's super pixelated, yeah. Uh, bearded Fen, I believe it is. Um, so he's got a question all about meditation apps. So he says, yeah, yeah. What are, what are what are your guys, Craig and Devin? What are your thoughts on using apps to learn how to meditate? So there's loads of them, but Headspace is a very popular one. Uh, and then he also makes reference to Sam Harris's uh, Waking Up app. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great question. I love that this is coming up. We actually both work for meditation apps. (laughs) So just to name, we might be coming from a biased source. But we also write a lot about technology and how we have to use it skillfully. 
So, you know, when all these apps started out, even just a few years ago, there's a lot of skepticism from the mindfulness community. Because often in mindfulness retreats, we encourage you to unplug your cell phone, turn it off, don't use technology. We need that sort of space from technology in order to be with ourselves. Mm -hmm. But what we're learning is that these tools are actually really, really helpful. So it's totally possible to turn on an app and just have a guided meditation right there at your fingertips at home, very accessible. You know, it's not super expensive. You don't have to go somewhere fancy to do it. You can do it on your own. And we're finding actually in our little meditation app world that it really is helping a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So I think generally I would say used skillfully, these apps are a wonderful tool. Really encourage them. And you could find our meditations <laughs> on the Simple Habit app. And we have a couple talks that are coming out on the 10% Happier app next week. So we're, we're full on into the app world. The one thing that I will say that apps um, have not totally figured out yet <clears throat> is kind of like the personal connection. Mm -hmm. So we do a lot of one-on-one -on -one mentoring and almost everybody that we work with in one-on-one -on -one mentoring is meditating with apps. Mm. But there's something about actually sitting down with an experienced meditator and being able to ask questions and have dialogue that is like jet fuel for a practice. So I always say like, use the apps, do the apps. And then if you can also find like a living, breathing teacher that you can communicate with, that's good. Yeah, must be living, not dead. Because then you've gone, then you've <laughs> yeah, gone too good. far. Then you, then you found a great app. <laughs> 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 then you know you've made it, yo. <laughs> yeah, you've totally made it. meditation in the house. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, so I've, I've funny. I, I want to just bring into the conversation here. Um, you'll see this chap on on the on the stream, guys. Um, but his name's Naval. N-A-V-A-L. Uh, that's his Twitter handle. And as you can see, he's um, following nobody and he's got 865,000 followers. Um, so he's a very, I would say, spiritual individual. And um, he's just super, super wise. Like some of the stuff he says, it's just like, hmm. You know, it's not like, oh God, I've seen that before. It's really, it's like, you know, it's, it's really, really insightful. So he uh, was, uh, in fact, it wasn't even that long ago, but like a, maybe a week or two ago, he, someone uh, tweeted him and said, listen, yeah, do you recommend using apps, right? To like guided meditation apps, Headspace, so Bearded Fen, this is all for you, my man. Uh, but, um, but he said, no, he said, don't use them. He said, uh, what you should do is sit with yourself in a quiet room and have no technology whatsoever in the room and just sit there for an hour. And he said, do that for 60 days minimum. Um, and so I was like, huh, I've tried, it, I've tried Headspace. I've tried um, Calm is another good app uh, that I recommend people try. But more expensive than the other, but very good. Um, and I used Calm for like three months. And so I can, you know, I understand that world or whatever. So anyway, so I was like, cool, I'll try it. So I got up early, um, at like five o'clock in the morning and, um, and I just sat there with myself and he calls it, mm. or he describes the experience of, he said, don't think about anything. If something comes into your mind or your consciousness, just like 
let it go um, and don't obsess about anything. Don't worry. Like, don't you just like just and when you catch yourself because your mind will run. And so when it runs, you just say to yourself, I'm taking a break from myself. And then that will reset you. So I tried doing that. And what I found my mind doing was it was like a stallion wanting to get out of the gates. It was like, you know, like a yeah, bull, yeah. like it was just like it was ready to go. It needed something to latch onto. And the more I I said that, like I'm taking a break from myself, I'm taking a break from myself, the more <laughs> the more it would be it started to get like super yeah. creative like very creative about finding something to latch on to. I was like, damn, I'm like, this is a creative mind I've got here, you know? Um, and it was like, but like, I, and I, I haven't done it since, but basically, you know, <laughs> I, I, I'm like that guy who like, you know, is just always ready to make an excuse to how why not to deal with myself in many respects. But, um, but anyway, I found it interesting that my psyche was all about latching on to something it needed something to occupy the mind with and so yeah. i i can hypothesize based on that and having done meditation for some time um using meditation guided apps and stuff is that i would hypothesize that over time that would slow down and then eventually stop and when it stopped or when it stops you would have access theoretically, and I haven't done this, so I don't really know, but maybe you guys can, can jump in here and weigh in here with what you know, being more experienced in this stuff. But, but certainly once, the, once it would slow down and stop, the stallion would just stand still and graze. And when it grazes, it would become self-aware to a degree that an occupied mind just wouldn't ever get to. It would be a higher state of, of consciousness. And so this Naval chap... Um, that I highly recommend you guys go and check it out. It's at Naval on Twitter. The reason why he has no, he doesn't follow anyone is because he believes that society is so insane now that, or just crazy that we don't need more society, we need less. So we don't need the Twitter following the Instagram and all this stuff. We actually just need to eliminate that from our daily consciousness and what I would describe as bandwidth. Cause I think like we only have a certain amount of bandwidth in any given day. So every phone call, every WhatsApp, every SMS, every interaction takes that bandwidth down. It's like a yeah. body battery that you have on a Garmin. So I've got like a, I've got a numerous garments actually, but this one here up on the screen, it measures your body battery and uh, it actually then, I don't know if you guys have played around with this, but now it actually says my body battery is at 43. And every time you sleep, it goes up and then it tracks. Don't know, it's like biochemistry or whatever, how your body basically now responds. So, so anyway, I'm giving this a long preamble to, to kind of get into um, to what I would like to ask you guys, which is um, what do you say to the protagonist who says, I don't have time? for this i like i said i was like i like i don't have time i've got two kids i got a business i like mm -hmm. you know i'd have to get up at 4 a.m and quite frankly the cost of that to my energy that i need my bandwidth that i need for the rest of the day it's too high yeah. the opportunity cost yeah. right in business is this idea of you have an opportunity cost so what's the value of the mm -hmm. opportunity versus what it will cost me and so the opportunity cost for for me let's use me as the as the guinea pig here um it's too high the cost is too high to to get the tangible benefits of the opportunity. It would force me to become disciplined, 
right? As an example, truly, (laughs) truly disciplined. And that's a bloody hard thing, right? Because discipline is doing the things you don't want to do when you, and when you need to do them, you know? And so we always, no one's perfect in this space. So, um, what do you say to the protagonist? Mm -hmm. Well, man, there's so much there that I'd love to respond to, but I'll just, I'll start by just responding to your question. Uh, I think it is interesting to track what you do do. And my, my guess is that there are moments of your day, maybe even full, you know, 10 minute periods of your day where you're not doing something absolutely productive and necessary. And I include spending quality time with your children in the necessary and productive, you know, category. But my guess is that at some point during your day, you find yourself scrolling through Twitter, or you find yourself, you know, watching some random YouTube video. And my guess is that, like Naval is saying, that takes up a certain amount of bandwidth. Some of that might be necessary for your career, of course. So that's work time. But if you're very, if you, if you observe carefully, I think you'll notice that sometimes you're just zoning out, you know, kind of like, maybe you're not, maybe that's just me, but there's probably sometimes where you're just zoning out and you're not doing something that's in your, what you call higher interest. Could that be a time where you actually took 10 minutes and turned on your calm app and did a meditation? My guess is that you can find that time. And my guess is that since you've done it, then you know what it feels like to have done that. And what it feels like in the body is often a lot of relief, uh, more clarity in the mind, probably less reactivity to the next situation that arises. And so then in terms of a cost benefit analysis, the cost is actually pretty low. It's 10 minutes, right? But the benefit over time is probably pretty high because what happens is that mindfulness builds in your own mind. It builds in your own awareness and you start to behave differently. You start to do things differently. And that becomes a bit of an upward spiral. There, then you, want, you notice, oh, I just, I did that differently. Like I didn't snap at my kid when I would have otherwise. Then you want to do a little bit more of the meditation. Then you behave more differently, which makes you want to. Again, Sam Harris talks about this kind of stuff all the time, right? But it's this kind of like, tracking your experience carefully to know what most serves you and then doing those things. So it works, I think, within your model. It's just about being aware. Yeah, that's it. That's my cell. <laughs> no, that's, uh, I mean, does anything else you want to comment on based on my very long preamble just now? Yeah, I think, I mean, there's so many ideas here around the recommendation to completely unplug which by the way, we do have a whole section in our book about how useful that could be. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, in some ways, the Buddha talked a lot about the middle way. And the middle way, you know, is kind of the middle between extremes. And that's gonna look differently for each of us, right? So for Noval, completely unplugging and sitting on his own for, or on their own for an hour in a room, 
that could look like a really good balance. For the rest of us, without any instruction, there's a lot of ways that that could maybe not be so helpful. So I think we have to find our way in between like the total overload of too much social media, right? Which is a kind of addiction or intoxication that we talk about, but also finding the ways to support ourselves so that we actually learn how to meditate. There's so many misconceptions out there right now about what mindfulness is. And so having someone who's done a lot of it, who studied it for a long time, and even on an app, is a really helpful support for understanding how to work with the mind. Because as you said, like when you sit down and notice, wow, this mind is like a stallion and it's so creative. And <laughs> even in the traditional text, there's this analogy of it's like an animal tied to a post, like a wild animal that's just like ready to go, right? And so the training, sometimes it's said it's a monkey mind, this monkey that's like all over the place. It actually does take quite a lot of skill and understanding about how to, to tame it in a way that's not like forceful, that's not harmful, that again is not like bypassing like you mentioned. So that can take a lot of time and training to understand how do I work with this really wild stallion that is in me. And I found more and more like on, on my own, I can get a little lost, like really a lot of harsh self-criticism or judgment or a sense of, I can't do this, I'm failing, very common. So we need that sort of in touch with other people who are doing it so that we can kind of see, oh, this is, this is my experience measured against someone else's, have that ongoing, just like we'd train in the gym or any other place. It's nice to have a coach. Yeah, That's what I would say to that piece. Cool. Um, I need in. What are some of the practical steps we can take outside of meditation? So, those are people just like I'm never gonna do that. Like my dad's one of those. He's like, mm -mm. <laughs> he's like WhatsApping he's furiously. Yeah, I wouldn't tell you what he's saying. <laughs> anyway, he's a funny man. But, um, yeah. but yeah, anyway, what are some practical stuff, like steps that we can do outside of meditation? Yeah. Well, I mean, I know, I don't know your dad, but I'm sure he's doing a lot of this stuff already. Yeah. <clears throat> because I think all of us. <laughs> yeah. His form yeah. of meditation is not Buddhism. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't have to be. It's riding motorcycles at 280 k's an hour. Like some stupid Woo! speed. Yeah, I know. Yeah? yeah? Is that true? No, awesome. uh, yeah, not at all. Or shooting guns. One of those two things. All right. Well, <laughs> let me just say. So if he's riding a motorcycle at high speeds, or if he is shooting guns, those are both activities that require tremendous amount of focus and embodiment. Right. My, my guess is that if he's riding a motorcycle at 250 or what do you say, 250? 80 kilometers an hour mm -hmm. he's not lost in thoughts at that moment and often when people do activities like that whether it's like free climbing or riding a motorcycle wicked fast or even shooting it's because they're looking for that aliveness for that that focus that comes with that particular activity so i would argue that your dad is probably experiencing some kind of meditative state even though he is against the idea of meditation. Mm -hmm. So like I happen to like shooting, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't get to do it very much, but I grew up shooting guns and I like shooting guns. Like why do we like something like target shooting? 
We like it. I mean, my experience anyway, is that we like it because it helps us to calm everything and focus singularly. And we get immediate feedback about how focused we are. You know, you can watch like when you miss the target, it's almost always because the mind is doing something. Mm. And so that immediate feedback is so satisfying. And I think that's why we like doing something like target shooting or even hunting. Mm. So that's one thing I would say is many people are, are finding ways to bring this kind of focus and uh, mindfulness into their lives through the activities they're doing. I'd also say that you're, you know, if your dad is listening, um, you know, your target shooting might get even a little better if you did five minutes of mindfulness every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's see if you can get him on this WhatsApp line. Maverick, get get Kevin on you. <laughs> let's start a rage. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Um, so I agree with you though. I mean, I, I prescribe to the idea that if you want to get out of your head, get into your body. So um, like CrossFit, or running yeah. or walking or doing something that doesn't involve or just painting, something creative. Um, you know, all of these things are forms of meditation. So as long as you're not thinking furiously and, you know, and you're centered and you're involved or, or your mind, in other words, your mind is fully engaged in a single task. So that, that, the, that would be my definition of, you know, meditation or another form of non you know sitting there meditating uh, as an example um so guys we're just cognizant of time i think we should wrap this up so we're going to give away some free stuff uh in a second so uh, let's do that now then um so this is gifts from the map Brown show our usual segment um david craig what is going on today well <clears throat> we have for anybody that is in the continental United States, we have a free copy of How Not to Be a Hot Mess, a survival guide for modern life going out. We've got one copy going out. I think it was going out to the first person that posted a question, right? Uh -huh. So what I'm going to say is, yeah, if you can email me, so it's hard to know who's who, who's who on social media, where you actually live. So first of all, to email me at hello at mattbrownshow.com. It's Matt with two T's, brown, like the color show.com uh will and say obviously give me a u.s address we'll give you a signed copy of that book so thank you very much for that devin and craig that's awesome and then guys don't forget you can also get that probably might be someone on the whatsapp line you can also get this book here number one best-selling book you're in a game on my website for free uh mattbrownshow.com you'll find the links there so um guys let's wrap this up uh why do you do what you do what gets you out of bed in the morning? I just want to say I also posted a free first chapter. So anybody, mm. I just posted it to you, Matt, yeah, in, I got the, it, yeah. in the chat here. Uh -huh. Anybody who wants to just download our, our first chapter of our book for free, they're welcome to do that as a giveaway. Why do we do what we do? Do you want to go for that? I'll go for that. So we have a whole chapter in the book that's talking about see the good. Hmm. And these days, especially for me, it's a lot about intention. So you were talking about this, you know, anything gets you out of your head into your body. These, these practices that are about building focus. Mm -hmm. A lot of what we do is like, what really makes us happy? Mm -hmm. And our argument is that as humans, 
we all have this universal wish. We want to be happy, content, settled, peaceful. And so when I get out of bed, there's a sense of like, what's the direction? Like, where's my compass heading? And for me, it's about recognizing goodness. So recognizing goodness in myself. Like, oh, I have the intention to help in some way today, right? To contribute to the overall collective well-being. And then seeing goodness in others. You know, like, look at all the stuff that's happening out there that is really good. And that's so uplifting to me that it really helps me stay inspired with what I'm doing. Hmm. So goodness, that's what I would say. Cool. Um, Craig, are you going to add in there or are you good? I agree. <laughs> so uh, very quickly, uh, Bearded Fan, considering you were the first online on YouTube, if you are um, in the US, please do let us know. Um, and then, uh, yeah, we'll get in touch with you on, on YouTube. So guys, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been a real privilege and honor to, to kind of get your story told right here on the map run show. And thank you for all of you who tuned in live. It's been really awesome, um, to, to get your comments and interactions and things like that. So, so thank you once again, guys, and, uh, we will see you next week right here on the map run show. Cheers. Thank you, Craig and Devin once again. Ciao. Thanks for listening to The Map Brown Show, guys. Don't forget, you can catch me on all social media platforms for the latest updates, news, and a show history. So if you've been catching this on the podcast, please head on over to our YouTube channel and pound that subscribe button. It would be great to catch the video version there. And if you want a free copy of my number one Amazon best-selling book, your inner game for free right now today. You can grab that on mathbrownshow.com forward slash ebook. Ever wanted to become a best-selling author? Well, I'm in the influence business and I work with business owners and CEOs and business leaders to help them scale their influence. And we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author, sought-after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days. My team and I have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300% faster and 50% less cost than anyone else in North America. This system is incredibly efficient. One of my clients Clients Haiku went from a 2% share of voice globally to an 11% share of voice globally in only seven days. If you'd like more information, head on over to showworksmedia.com for more. That is showworks with an X.com.